Bible and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 36, 37, 38, and 39 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen in just a minute. And again, thank you for your generosity towards uh, these ministry students this summer. I know they appreciate it. Their parents appreciate it. And uh, ultimately, uh, uh, the, the kingdom of God is blessed because of your, your faithfulness and giving. Um, this weekend, we are continuing. We're kind of getting close to the end of our series on this on final graph of Jesus as we walk through the parables and the teachings of Christ. And today, the teaching really applies to the church. There's some personal downloads, but there's a lot of this that really applies to us as a, as a body of believers. And Jesus basically is, is asking the question, basically making the statement, are you following Jesus? And I would encourage you right now on the backside of your bulletin, there's just a blank space for some notes for you to write down some things. I would ask you to write that question down. Am I following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? And you may go, man, I've been saved for years. I've had a relationship with Christ for years. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you how long you've been saved. I'm not asking you about your spiritual pedigree. I'm asking you a question. Are you truly following Jesus? Because that's what he confronts in this parable. Now, I, I'm a type A personality, and I, my youngest is, has a personality very similar to mine. And we don't like to follow anybody. We walk fast, we talk fast, which is kind of an oxymoron for a southerner. We like to do things fast. I'm not very gifted with my hands because, quite frankly, I'm like, I saw twice, cut twice, and measure once, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do if you're really mechanically gifted. Um, I, I look at the box and say, here's the picture, I can build it, right, which is wrong, and I end up with these extra bolts and pieces, and I go, well, I don't know, I'll just put it in the bag and use it later. And, I mean, it's not really good. I, I am, I, there is nothing, like, I, I can't build anything. I, those of you that can work with your hands, whether you're an electrician or you're a plumber or you're a carpenter, I, you amaze me. I'm just going to tell you, I have no clue. I'm just like, because it would fall apart. I mean, it would be scary if you, you know. And, and, and part of that is I'm just a very impatient person. And, and what happens is, is that because of that, I typically like to lead, not follow. I mean, like the freeway is like the Audubon for me. I want to get around as many cars as I can, and I just want to go, you know. And everything are just kind of like suggestions. Speed limits are suggestions. The road markings are just merely suggestions. The, the light on ramps to get onto the freeway are just merely, hey, if you want to really slow down and stop, you can. If you don't, no worries. And some of you are looking at me like, really? That's sad but true. And, and the reality is, is that I think for most of us, we're that way. Most of us, a lot of us in this room, we kind of would much rather lead. We like to have the control. We want to be, um, we want it, as Burger King would say, my way right away now. We all kind of have an idea of how we want to do life, how we want things to be. And from time to time, we actually communicate that to God. God, you know, I know you're in the heavens, and I know you've created everything, and I'm just one person. But i got a couple suggestions for you. I think if you did this in my life, it would work out. And I think if you would just answer this prayer. And we even get frustrated when God doesn't do it the way we think he should do it. Am I talking to anybody? This morning, people are going, oh, it's us, because at the end of the day, I think one of the hardest things about being a Christian or being a Christ follower is followership. Because when you come to Jesus, you have to lay yourself down. You have to lay down your pride. You have to lay down your ambitions. You've got to lay down yourself. 
Paul, and, 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 and throughout the epistles, says we have got to crucify the flesh weekly? No. Monthly? No. Yearly? No. Once in a while? No. Daily, Paul says. I crucified this flesh. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do is like I do. I have this warring between the spirit and the flesh. And the bottom line is, it boils down to we don't like Christ's followership. We want our leadership. Let's just all get really. I mean, come on. Some of you are looking at me like, no, I would never tell God what to do. Oh, yeah. Don't lie. You're in church, right? I mean, we, we do that and we push that. And Jesus is talking about this in the entire gospel of Luke chapter 5. He is, he is talking about this. If you have your Bibles open, I'm just going to kind of walk through very quickly Luke chapter 5. Because he begins with recruiting this disciple named uh, Levi, better known as Matthew, who, read, who writes the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel that we have. And Matthew, or Levi, was a tax collector. And tax collectors were not considered to be scrupulous, integral people in that day and time. They were, quite frankly, were, were looked at to be people that were very underhanded, very shady, uh, uh, very much greedy people who would, who would rob, steal, whatever they had to do to kind of cut the corners and cut the edges. They were, they were despised, especially amongst religious people. Religious people, basically, the religious establishment said, you cannot be a godly person and be a tax collector. They're mutually exclusive. And so Jesus asked Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his first disciples. Does that kind of give you a clue in who Jesus is and that he's really going to mix things up? I mean, we're only in chapter 5, right? This is, and the chapters first, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 just kind of cover the beginning years of his life, right? From the birth and the... And the so, I mean, he's right off from the beginning going and just really, really kind of all up in the kitchen, if you would, and really messing things up. And when Levi gets asked to be a tax collector, here's what he does. He throws the biggest house party on the block. And he invites who? His friends. And who are his friends? Other tax collectors. People that are far away from God. I mean, it is rowdy, crazy, unholy compared to the, to, to the religious establishments. And when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they approach Jesus, they go, listen, the first disciple is a tax collector? Really? Which I think is kind of cool that he writes the first gospel in the Testament. God has a very cool sense of humor. It's, it's all through Scripture. And, and then you're going to show up at a party where, I mean, it's crazy. Because if you've ever been around people that haven't been to church, they don't know what's right and wrong. They don't censor their language. They don't censor their music. They don't censor what they eat or what they drink. Hello. It's a party. Celebrate good times. Come on. Let's bring the kegs in, baby. Let's just let it flow, right? We're going to have a good time tonight, right? Come on. Let's celebrate. I'm going to get you laughing at some point today. Oh, there we are. It's, it's, that's what it is. And so he brings us in. And the religious establishment goes nuts. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus and to his disciples. One, one version says it like this. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? How can you be a rabbi? How can you be God's son? How can you be the Messiah? God wrapped in flesh going to save the world. And yet you are, you're, this is your first recruit. I love what Mark Twain says. Quote, after having spent a lot, a lot of time with religious people, I understand why Jesus preferred to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> it's true. 
we're not exactly the most engaging group of people on the planet sometimes. We don't exactly have the, the warmest smile and the warmest best sense of humor. We're not exactly known for the life that we're supposed to have. Jesus answers these disciples in verse 31 and 32. He says this, healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the sick people that do. And I've come to call sinners to turn from their sin, not to spend time with those who think they're already good enough, a.k.a. the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus tells the Pharisees that the true religious people aren't concerned with man-made traditions and laws. They're concerned with lost people. Now, again, this is where we get the whole axiom uh, and, and, and DNA for Life Church that Life Church doesn't exist for people that think they're good enough, for people that are religious. We exist for people that are far away from God. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. This isn't something new. It's not something mind-boggling. And, and, and but yet, I talk to people all the time. They go, I wasn't raised in a church that really believed in reaching out to lost people. And I was raised in a church that really believed that it should be just the few, the proud, the, the called, the, the Christians, the sanctified, the holy. And I get that. I mean, trust me, I have people write me letters. I have my name on, on uh, email lists and blog sites and Life Church on radio of how we're broad as the way to destruction and that I don't preach the gospel, I don't preach the truth, I never open the Bible. What is it? I'm Christianity light. Uh, I'm an easy place for people to come to find. I need to get saved. I'm leading people. I had one pastor tell me, you're leading people to hell and destruction. Thank you very much. It's what Jesus did. And listen, any church that that's being said about, they're in good company. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees said. How can you hang out with these people? How can you live with these people? How can you recruit these people? Do you know who these people are? They've not been proven. They've not been vetted. They've not been justified and righteously approved by the church. Anyhow... So then they go on, they go, well, if we can't get them on this, then, then they start bringing up this issue of fasting. And they're asking in verse 33 and 34, they begin to ask, they say, well, John's disciples, John the Baptist, often fast and pray. And so they're the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Again, I think that's why I like Jesus. But anyhow, verse 34, Jesus responds to their question with a question, which is pretty typical in, in, in Eastern culture. And he says this, do the wedding guests fast while celebrating the groom? Someday he will be taken away from them and they will fast. The essence of what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm not here long. I am the groom and this is the bride of Christ. And we've got a lot of stuff to do. And there's going to come a day and a time where I'm going to be, I'm going to ascend and be at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. There's going to be trials and tests and tribulation. There's going to be time for prayer and for fasting. But right now it's time for celebration. And it was at this point, basically, Jesus has his fill, and he hasn't, hasn't enough. And he says, look, I'm going to give you guys two parables. He just does these two things back to back. And let's read this together. In Luke chapter 5, verse 36, 37, 38, 39, it begins. And he told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it to an old, and sews it to an old one. For if he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Verse 37. No one who pours new wine into old wineskins. For if he does, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wineskins must be poured into new, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wants the new, for he says the old is better. Jesus gives them these two word pictures about 
Old garments are new garments. Old wineskins are new wineskins. And it's not about garments and it's not about wineskins. It's not about wine. It's not about trinkets. It's not about any of that. It's two word pictures where he's basically saying this. Look, God is doing a new thing. And this new thing that he's doing is not going to fit into the old. And you're going to have to make yourself ready to receive it or not. You're going to have to be a new wineskin that can receive it or an old wineskin that can receive it. Because it's going to expand you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to change you. It's going to push you. And this is only the beginning. Me adding Levi as one of my disciples who will, read, who will write the, the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the first gospel and, and the first book in the New Testament and the New Covenant. This isn't going to be church as usual. It's not going to be religion as usual. It's not going to look, smell, and taste the way you think it should. And you're comfortable with the old because you know it. But yet God's doing a new thing. That's what He's telling them. And so it's all about this new mold and this new mindset. And again, I ask you the question, are you following Jesus? And what He's telling them is, look... God is doing something new. Are you following God or are you following your traditions? Are you following your ideas? Are you doing it your way right away now? A lot of churches do do it that way. This is what I want. This is how I want it. This is how I like it. This is it. A lot of pastors do church that way. This is what I'm comfortable in. I just don't know if I want to stretch. I don't know if I can go anymore. I just don't know if I can, can, can take another step of faith anymore. I just... And again, the words of the church is, are you following Jesus? The word to the Christ follower. Are you following Jesus? The word to you and I today. Am I following Jesus? There's several lessons here that we can download from this that he's communicating. The first thing is, is we must always be flexible. When it comes to the things of God, we've always got to be flexible. He uses this analogy with the wineskin. And basically what would happen is they would take new wine, put it into new wineskin, and through the fermentation process, the wineskin would actually stretch. The elasticity would actually give, and it would go as much as it could. And if new wine that had yet to be fermented was poured into an old wineskin, it had lost its elasticity, and so it would bust, it would burst, it could not handle it. If he was talking today, he probably wouldn't use this analogy, he would use the analogy of a rubber band. You have an old rubber band? And you just take it and all of a sudden you just pop it and it breaks. Why? Because the elasticity has gone. The flexibility has gone. The ability to change, to stretch, to change, to change shape is gone. It's done. Stick a fork in it. It's done like a, like a Thanksgiving Day turkey. But if you take a brand new rubber band, you can snap it, you can pop it, you can flex it, you can change its shape, and it will go right back to form. Why? Because it has elasticity. Because it's pliable and it's malleable. It's able to move and to work and to go. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This new wineskin. God's doing a new thing. God's doing something. And as Christ followers, he's telling these religious leaders of the day, you've got to be flexible. And your old way of doing things won't work. And your old mindset won't work. And you've got to be flexible and see this in a new way. See, the tendency is as we get older in Christ, we become more inflexible. And how do we overcome inflexibility? By stretching. How, how, do, you, how do you help something grow? By stretching. And I want to suggest just three, three areas that we can help our, ourselves to make sure that we're flexible when it comes to following Jesus. Again, the question is, am I following God Christ or am I just asking God to do it my way? We've got to be flexible with our thinking. Have you ever figured out that God doesn't do things the way you think He should? Have you ever realized you can't reduce God down to some algebraic formula? A plus B does not always equal C. 
Oh, God is, is tied to the principles and the promises of His Word, but how He chooses to do things are so far beyond us and so far beyond onto our, our own thinking that's so limited and so finite. He's infinite. He's God. He can do anything He wants to do. He's just bound by the principles and the promises of His Word. Outside that, He's able to do anything He wants to do. The Bible says exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask. But many times, our Christian life is like a pair of 501 button-fly blue jeans. It just shrinks to fit. We've bought them, we've shrunk them, we've worn them, and they're just the right size. And God says, no, I want to do a new thing in your life. I want to do a new thing in your ministry. I want to do a new thing in the church. You've got to expand your thinking. You've also got to become flexible with your methods. You've got to become flexible with your methods. Listen, the means of spreading the gospel can and will change. But the message always remains the same. The book, the Bible, that's what we hold to. Everything else, whether we're preaching from a pulpit or a lectern or, or I'm preaching from an iPad today, it doesn't really matter. It's still God's Word. Whether it's in paper print or it's electronic or it's in scrolls that they roughed in, in, the in, the, in, the, in the first century. The reality is it's still the Word of the living God. It doesn't matter the form. It's, it's, it's the power that's in the Word. And so our methodology was going to change. Our traditions, they, we've got to become flexible when it comes to our traditions. And we like traditions. And there's really nothing wrong with traditions. Until your traditions supersede what God's asking you to do. This is what we've always done. At Life Church, we have a philosophy that we want to be consistently inconsistent. Which simply means you know that there's going to be a good quality service. That we're going to lift high the name of Jesus. We're going to serve up the bread of life, Jesus Christ, hot and fresh every week. But how we do it, we're going to constantly change it. We're, we don't want you to go, why did somebody move the organ this week? We want you to go... Why didn't they move the organ? And, and some of you are looking for an organ. There is no organ. It's just a metaphor. The reality is, is that we're constantly going to change. Why? Because it's God's changing. And we've got to become flexible and fluid. And, and listen, in this day and time, culture reinvents itself every three years. And so if we as the church are not going to keep course with the culture, how do we expect to be able to minister how do we expect to be able to reach a world? How do we expect to even be able to be, to be on the forefront of things? There are so many issues and causes that we lag so far behind because we're not willing to step out of the proverbial bubble of the way things have always been done and get out there and do it. And then, and, and so, but God's called us to do that. It's always a process of change. I'll give you a prime example of this uh, when it comes to us as Life Church. You know, we've done pretty much always have done outside baptisms. Water baptisms, uh, which basically are, are an outward evidence of an inward change. And we've done those. In the first year, we did it at Pike Lake. And back then, there was probably about 120 people in the church, max. Okay, And that morning, on that Sunday morning, we sent somebody up there early as soon as the park opened. And they went to a pavilion, a small pavilion, probably had 10 picnic tables underneath. And they took a gas grill. And they held the place for us until service was over. And then we all drove to the park. And we all right there, there was about 65 of us, and we were all right there, and we played volleyball, and, and we, we did that. Kathy, you remember that? You were there. And we were right there, and then, um, and, and then we went just right to the water. There were people jet skiing. Um, I, I won't talk about jet skiing, because I actually got a ticket that day on a jet ski. Anyhow, the officer didn't believe I was 16. Imagine that. So anyhow, so we're just going to go right there in the water, and we baptize people. Well, what happened is, is we were growing, and so we couldn't keep doing that at Pine Lake because there wasn't enough space. I mean, think about it. 
And so last year at our baptism, there was over, I think, 1,100 people that were on, that we were at the baptism. There's no way to do that. And they wouldn't let us run out Pike Lakes to State Park, blah, 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 blah. So we go to Glen and Quarry. And that year, we just get a pavilion. It's a little bit bigger, whatever. And we actually go to an area, and there were some people that were mad because we had a sound system, and we were playing some music, and they didn't like that. And so got it, no problem. And so we go to an area, and we're about to baptize people, and the, and the park warden person comes out and says, you can't do it here. you got to go to the beach. And so there's only probably 150, 200 of us, about double what we had the year before. And we're over there. So we keep doing that. Well, the next year, we go to a bigger place. And then, and then the next year, we pay for everybody's parking because there were so many people. We had to get parking permitted areas and, and go through all this stuff. And then we realized we are not, we are outgrowing this space. It's awesome. I love it, but we're outgrowing it. What are we going to do? So last year we rented out Washington County Fair Park. And some people go, oh, we're not going to be at the lake again. Oh, we're not going to be outside again. Oh, no, we're not. And so we're going to do that. And the only bad thing about last year was I didn't get any of the corn. I don't know if anybody else, anybody else miss getting ran out? Yeah, I'm sorry. I said that hand. God bless you. I'm, I'm still grieved. I'm offended at the church over that. I almost left my church over that one. <laughs> Seriously. So, but something bothered me last year. And that was 400 people made decisions for Christ, but about 65, 70 people were baptized. It was phenomenal, sir. It was awesome. I'll never forget it. But it bothered me. What about the other 330 people? So I sat down with Gary and I sat down with Ryan and I said, we got to do something about this. We need to like open up a hole in the platform. And we actually looked at this to put a, to put a baptistry here. Can we do one outside? Would that not be cool? It had to be heated, of course. And then what if we did one over here? And, and, and so finally we found that we could get a portable, not like we had last year, because if you remember, if you were on the first like 17 rows and you got flooded. And, but to do a baptismal tank that was portable that we could actually do here, because what bothered me is that there was such amount of time from this from the from the decision for Christ to the time that we got people an opportunity to be baptized that you lose people in that amount of time. So next weekend we're going to do live baptisms in all three weekend services. Matter of fact, if you've never followed Christ in water baptism, be a part of the very first. And on the back side of your communication card, which is inside your bulletin, you can just check off, I'd like information, I'd like to be baptized. And so this service next weekend, we'll be baptizing people live. I'd love the opportunity to do that. But the reason why we're doing that is because what, what I feel like is when people make a decision for Christ, we need to follow up with water baptism. So we're going to do one now, and then we're going to do one next month, and then we're going to do one the next month, and we're going to do one the next month. In January, in the middle of winter, when we're unable to do one typically because outdoor, you've had to break the ice to get it, right? We're going to do them in January, do them in February. We're going to continue to do baptisms on a regular basis. Why? Because of two reasons. Number one, I believe that God is going to continue to allow us to reach people for Him. And number and so that's a faith statement. Amen. I may be alone on that, but I believe we can do that. And number two, I want to see people go active with their faith, online with their faith, be plugged in, downloaded, completely ready to go, and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ as quickly as they possibly can, so they don't have to wait an entire year. But all of this is what I'm saying, creates change. And if someone along the line, if we just said, ah, we can't leave Pike Lake, there were more people that we baptized last year than was at the Pike Lake baptism. The entire baptism, everybody there. We would have capped ourselves, but we said, no, we've got to remain flexible. We've got to continue to do things in a new way. We've got to think outside of the proverbial box. 
The second thing Jesus is saying is that we've got to be fresh. We've got to remain fresh. We've got to be fresh in our walk with Him. Be fresh in our experience with Him. Be fresh as a church. Listen, nothing stinks like a stale church. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Have you ever went into? Have you ever been into a church or a service where it's just dead and it's dry? There's nothing more dead than a dead church. There's nothing more rank than a church that's stale. I'm sorry. I, I would much rather take my, I think, take my chances with hell than have to sit and listen to some of the preaching that I hear that goes on. Because at the end of the day, you're going, really? I mean, you're talking about the God of the universe? You're talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one that opened up the Red Sea, the one that helped David slay Goliath, the, the one that gave wisdom to Solomon, the one who, who gave us Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who lived and died on this planet, and men and women through the centuries and the eons of time have given their life, and I have to go through some boring rhetorical dissertation about what you think about the kenosis theory and, and, and that Ephesians? No way! <laughs> we got to be fresh. And not just as a church, but individuals. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Community Church in Southern California. I came across this quote. Phenomenal. I'm going to read it for you. One of the most common mistakes that Christians make is that they think that they can live their lives over a single commitment that they made years ago. My spiritual birthday is January 23rd, 1960. The first 10 years of my Christian life, I tried to live life on the basis of that one decision. And I thought it was enough to carry me the rest of my life. And I wondered why I wasn't growing as a Christian and becoming all that God wanted me to be. And I prayed, but I didn't see many answers. Then in 1970, I discovered that the Christian life is a continual renewal, a daily recommitment to Christ. It's not just a once and for all decision. Paul says it like this. I daily crucify the flesh. I daily take up my cross and I follow Jesus. I daily lay down my pride, myself, and my stinking self, and I pick up this mantle called Jesus Christ in my life. See, the question is, is am I really following Jesus? Or am I wanting Him to follow me? Am I really doing what God's blessing? Or am I asking God to do what I'm blessing? Are your stories of faith new or are they old? Are they this year or are they last year? Are you telling your kids stories about what your parents told you? Are you telling them what happened to you last week at the office or, or last month when you led your, your neighbor to the Lord or, 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 or when you ministered? Or are you taking your kids alongside you to do ministry and serving the poor and, and helping the needy and, and loving the unlovable and just being, being what God's called us to be? I loved it last week. I got a text from... from uh, Pastor Kevin and, and, and Amanda, as, as they were, excuse me, and Noel, Pastor Kevin and Noel, as they were in um, um, Oaxaca, Central Mexico. And he said, we just saw 23 people give their life to Christ in four healings. And I thought, our kids are living in real time. They were just there. They just saw 23 people make a decision for Christ. They were just there, and they did exactly what the book of James says. They laid hands on the sick, and they prayed the prayer of faith, and they recovered. Boom! It becomes alive. It becomes real. And something happens. Something happens in our lives where it's fresh, where it's real, where it's real time, where you see people week in and week out giving their life to Christ. You see people week in and week out following Christ in baptism. You see the church growing. You, 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 you see ministry going. You, you, see, you see missions happening. You, you see all these things around. My junior high student will be there with about 30 or 40 other junior high students this weekend in Minneapolis serving the poor and the, down, and the broken down and the downhearted. They're going to minister to them and link with the ministry there. And she's going to come back with a completely different perspective in her little suburban world. 
Thank God. If she doesn't, I'll send her back another week. <laughs> we got to be fresh. How do we stay fresh? I'm so glad you asked. Personally, we have to rest. Got to get some sleep, right? Relationally, it's all about time. If you're married, you got to have date time. You don't have date time, you have divorce time. It's just real simple. Uh, professionally, you got to sharpen the axe. You've you got to work on your skill set and sharpen that, that abilities that you have with classes, conferences, uh, uh, processes. Spiritually, it's all the above. If I'm going to stay fresh with God, it's going to take time with me not trying, but trusting, not running, but resting. It's going to take time with me just spending time with God and praying and having that relationship. And don't give me the, the, the line, it's quality time, not quantity time. It takes a certain amount of time and the discipline of prayer and God's Word to download that into your life. For the church, how it applies to all of us, just from my perspective, it's, 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 it's about me not preaching every weekend. I mean, I can preach 52 weekends out of the year, and in five years, I'm burned out, and I'll go someplace else. That's the average time that a pastor stays, because that's what the average pastor does. But if I want to keep my voice fresh, not physically, but impacting into your life, I'm not going to preach every weekend. Matter of fact, for the last three or four years, I only preach about 38 times a year. And Because I, I learned this when I was a youth pastor. I would just preach my guts out to a bunch of high school, junior high students, week in and week out about a particular subject over weeks, period of time and go, they're not getting it, Tammy. They're not getting it. I don't know what I have to do. I've done videos. I've done human videos. I, I've stood on my head and talked. I've done everything I know to do. Then I take those kids and I take them to a youth convention or to a camp. And the very first night, the speaker gets up and preaches the exact same stuff I've been preaching, the exact same text. And all the kids go, oh, that's what I mean. Oh, God. And they snot and they cry and they bawl. And I'm in the back going, what? Really? Are you stinking serious? You're killing me, Smalls. I have been preaching this. I have been praying this. I've been fasting this. God, this is not fair. Remember those times? Am I following God? Is God following me? God, you me. And I realize it's a fresh voice. It's not what I'm saying. It's they've become used to my voice. And they just drown it out. Like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 That happens in church. So... I just took the weekend off last weekend. Ate in Abuelos in Middleton. Have you ever been there? Phenomenal Mexican food. Yeah, you see. I just shopped and I took the weekend with my family and just had a good time and refreshed and replenished myself. Ryan came, brought a fresh word. You heard it. You got it. God challenged you, changed you. I got emails about it this weekend. Time off. I protect my vacation time. I protect my day off. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm honoring that Sabbath and keeping it holy. Sabbaticals, there's going to be times in my life that I've got to get away to work on the church, not in the church. And as the church grows, not because of the numbers, but because of the responsibility, I'm going to have to do that even more intently. Why? Because I have to have time where I get on the mountaintop and I hear from him about what I'm supposed to say to you. Because there's sometimes that these messages that I preach, it's just, man, it's flowing. It's, it's like butter. I mean, it's just flowing. And there are other times where it's like, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to really birth this one out. Sometimes it's four hours. Sometimes it's 30 hours. A prep time before I ever come up here and speak. Helping others. Friday morning, I spent four hours with the church planter. I was more stoked about that individual than I think they were when it was done. Because there's something that just ignites passion in me to be able to help someone else and, and the vision that God's called them to do and what God's wanting them to do. 
Missions, travel, it helps me. When I get on a plane, it's like a mechanism that my brain shifts. And suddenly, I don't know what it is, but I get a different perspective. I get a different deal. My heart is so full, and I'm reading, and I'm writing, and I'm processing. And all of a sudden, boom, it just hits me. In a couple weeks, I want to get to go to Hillsong, London, that I've been wanting to go to and see what they're doing and spend the weekend there. And I'm emailing the pastor and, and connecting with them because I want to see what God's doing. And I'm just excited. The weekend after, you know, after Easter this past spring, I took two staff members and we went to Charlotte's with the weekend at Elevation Church with Stephen Furtick. And just a phenomenal experience. A church that's about four years old that's running about 8,000. They just had like 12,000 people at the time Warner Arena that was there. Just just getting to see what God's doing. And I was so, I can't tell you how like stoked I was to get back on the plane to come back here and preach. I wish everybody could have been here on Monday. We could have all had church. And the staff got it all. You got to stay fresh. We have to stay fresh. Personally, as a church. And I appreciate the ability to be able to do the things that I get to do because it keeps me fresh. It keeps me here for a long time, for the long haul. If God will give me my, my desire, I, I want to spend my life here. I want to pastor. I want to preach. I want to invest my life with you. And I can't do that with burning the candle at both ends. I've got to run my race. I've got to set my pace. And I've got to understand that I've got to hear from Him because I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just the messenger. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. The last thing that Jesus says by this parable that He's saying is we've got to be free. We have to remain free. Again, am I following Christ or is Christ following me? What's the deal? I've got to be free. I've got to be careful not to become content with the old, with the usual, with the known, with the comfortable. The number one enemy that we face in the church right now today as a growing church is comfort. To get to a place where we go, we're big enough. Can I tell you, it's never about size. It's about reaching people. The Bible says that Jesus is the one that gives the increase. So whatever he thinks we should be, that's what we should be. But as long as there's one person yet to hear, as long as there's one hurting person, as long as there's one marriage that's in trouble, as long as there's one child that needs... We've got to be there. That's what we're called to be, the church of Jesus Christ. His hands and His feet reaching people that are far away from Him. Letting them know that there's an opportunity, that there's an answer. And it's their choice to make it. But that there's a God that loves them and that cares about them and has a plan for their life. And that He knows more about them than they know more about themselves. And that He just loves them. Jesus addresses this in, in verse 39. I'm going to read it for you again. He says that no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for he says that the old is better. Why would he say that? Why is the old better? Because it's comfortable. He's being somewhat facetious in what he's saying here. Because we become content with the old way of doing things and we never really consider the new. William Barclay, who's a 19th century uh, theologian and scholar, says this. There is in the religious people a kind of passion for the old. Nothing moves more slowly than the church. And we wonder why we don't reach our world for Christ. Why we don't make a dent. Jesus is teaching these religious people of the day that their fight to hang on to the old is not what it's about. It's about being flexible to see that He's the way truth and the life. We have to be free. Can I tell you that what got us here is not going to necessarily keep us here? Can I tell you that as we continue to move forward and do what God wants us to do as a church, it's going to mean some kingdom risks. 
It's going to mean that we're going to invest in some things that aren't going to turn out. We're going to invest money and time and talent and treasure and things that aren't going to give us a return. And then all of a sudden, we're going to try something that's going to go like gangbusters. And it's going to just, we're going to hit the proverbial jackpot. I've been telling the staff, we have got to experiment more. We have to take more risks. Now, I'm not talking about being stupid, but I'm saying if you think you've got an idea that will work, let's try it. If you think you've got an outreach that will work, let's do it. If you think you've got something that's, that's, that God's doing, let's do it. Let's try to take kingdom risks. The one thing that we don't want to do is continue is to try to play it safe. That's how you die. You understand that? Well, we've got to protect the assets of the church. We've got to protect the property. We've got to forget all that. This is not about bricks and sticks and the buildings made by the hands of men. These are just tools. The building that we're building is just a tool. The facility we're in are just a tool. The most important thing on this planet are the people in this room and outside this building that Christ died for. And we've got to leverage every single bit amount of energy and passion and, and, and strategic thought and process in order, in order to say, how do we minister? So what does that mean? Well, that means as we go along, we're not always just going to have one location of a church. That means that we're probably going to branch out and do what they call satellite churches. Which means we're going to level leverage the technology that you see on these screens. And we're going to start a church plant in Pewaukee and in Brookfield. And we're going to reach a whole new segment of people. Because the average drive time of the average regular attender in Life Church is 19.2 minutes. We know that. We've registered it. We know all the numbers. And we know after that point, we lose people to radical ascent. And we have people that come in. And I have people, I had lunch with a guy a few weeks ago. and says, I love the church. I want to be here. My family loves the church. But I drive almost 40 minutes to come to Life Church. And to be honest with you, the reality is, is that I don't know how much longer we can keep driving. And the thing that really drives me nuts is when I hear you preach. Thank you. Appreciate that. Would you like an onion ring? And so, and so he says, because you talk about reaching the community, you talk about being in the community, and you do that. And I can win every one of my neighbors to the Lord, but they're not going to drive 40 minutes to come to church. So we've been looking at a church around our neighborhood, and we haven't been able to find one like Life Church. Because this is what we want. This is where we want to raise our kids. So how do we do that? We either plant. One of the best way to procure DNA is a satellite. Cedarburg and Grafton. Huge. We have a huge demographic of people that drive from Cedarburg and Grafton. How do we do that there? What about the city of Milwaukee? Who cares about Milwaukee? We've got to do something there. And, and you're going, you're talking crazy. No, I'm talking kingdom, baby. I'm saying there's another way to do this thing that will minister to people. <coughs> excuse me. That will touch people's lives. People won't sit there and watch somebody on the screen. Don't tell Hollywood, all right? Don't tell anybody in Los Angeles that won't happen. The only thing that's gone up during this recession has been theaters. They're packed out. We're building as fast as we can in this community. Why? Because we're sight sound generation. I mean, I, I mean, people watch TV shows on a, on a smartphone. They they watch complete movies on a nine inch screen. I mean, you know, don't tell that it's got to be just like this. Again, be flexible, staying fresh. And being free to say, God, what are you doing? How are you doing this? How do we do this? What happens? It's, it's challenges. Do, you, do I have answers? No. I'm telling you right now, the Lord's been dealing with me something in the past couple of weeks that literally scares me, which probably should really make you very concerned at this point. I need to get the kids. Let's get out of here quickly. But it's about God did not give us this amount of influence 
just for us to have a great little church. He gave us his influence to reach people. Seven and a half years ago when I got here, people said there's no way we can give to missions. We are a church plant. We are barely paying our bills. We can't do this. And I remember sitting with the board and we said, we have to do this. We're going to bring in a missionary and add a missionary once a month to our expenses. And we're going to reach people. Because we're going to, if we take care of God's world, He's going to take care of our world. From that day to this day, We've never missed a paycheck. We've never missed a bill. We've never missed anything. Everything has been to the right and, and, and up ever since then. And as you're going to find out in the 10-year celebration, over a million dollars in cash has come from this church in seven years to missions. I dream of a day where in 12 months that happens. Where we're able to leverage so much resource that we're able to put a million dollars a year into people like Joe Gordon and areas like Kenya and areas like Ethiopia and be able to reach people and reach things. Why? People go, well, you can't do that. Why can't you do that? Why can't you do that? Well, you can't. Well, you can't, but we can. Okay? And you go to a church that says you can't because they're all over the place. But, but we believe that God's exceedingly and abundantly above all we can think or ask. And so the, the reality, I know I'm, I'm gonna need, I need to land the plane for telling me I'm done with my time. I'm just excited because I just see a church that's flexible. I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but it feels good. That's fresh and that's free to be who God's called us to be. So how do we do this? Let's go right back to verse number 36. And this coming up, I've got a little illustration that's coming up. You guys can bring that, that out for me. Verse 36. Jesus tells this parable. And he says, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it to an old one. For if he does, he will, have a, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. So if we aren't flexible, thank you, and if we're not free, and if we're not fresh, then here's what we basically are doing with the kingdom. It's like having two shirts here. Now, I have one shirt right here that's just grimy and nasty and probably just needs to be thrown away. And it's got a big old hole. And it's a cheap shirt to begin with. And then I've got a nice white polo. Uh, price tag, $65. Ralph Lauren. What Jesus says is this. It makes no sense to take this new garment and to cut a hole out of it to patch this old garment that probably should be thrown away with. But if we aren't flexible, and if we're not fresh, and if we are so consumed about our old ways of doing things, it's, it makes about as much sense as me taking a pair of scissors and coming in here to this nice $65 polo and saying, well, I got this old shirt and it's still good, so I'm just going to cut a patch out of it. And then I'm going to go right over here too, and I'm just going to put this patch right here. Yeah, oh yeah, doesn't that look nice? No. <laughs> Because it's never going to match the old. I'm going to ruin the new one. And some people go, did you really cut a hole in it? Yeah, I did. It's done. Whatever. <gasps> oh, my goodness. It's a polo around four inches. I know I love it, too. But it's a large. It's not my size. <laughs> but it makes that much sense. And people of God and churches do this all the time. To protect the old. Just keep patching it. No. No. It's a brand new shirt. It's a brand new opportunity. Quit trying to pack things and make it happen your way. 
just surrender yourself to Him. As a body of believers, surrender ourselves to God and say, we'll be this new wine, this new wineskin, this new garment that you want us to be to this lost and dying world. And we will proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ by the love of God, not by His judgment or His wrath. Because the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads men and women to repentance. Instead, for God so loved the world, that unconditional love that everybody's crying out for. Until all men know. The Bible says, and then the Lord shall come. Father, I thank you.